Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. And I'm Jay. And this is your new Comics Wednesday episode for May 5th, 2021. Uh, a lot of cool books coming out today. And I should also mention it's uh, it's another Bad Idea Wednesday, I think is what Bad Idea calls them. Uh, so we have ENIAC number one, or I'm sorry, ENIAC number three coming out, and then Whalesville and Rocks and Minerals number one. So there's another big Bad Idea button, number one button. And as soon as I finish recording here, I'm going to uh, take a shower, take my work clothes with me, go camp out overnight to get that button, that amazing gold button. No way I get two this time, even though I said that last time and somehow it happened. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna camp out all night and then go to work. Uh, so yeah, hopefully I get another, at least one. I, I would like to have the whole set of five. So we'll see if that happens. But anyway, a lot of great books, like I said. Um, so we're gonna dive right into it. Jay and I are gonna talk about these books. No spoilers. Um, just to remind everybody, the DC books we covered on the DC Spotlight yesterday with Rocky from Comic Boom. There are spoilers in that, whether you watch it on YouTube or you listen to the podcast. There are spoilers, but this new Comic Wednesday one, we're going spoiler-free. Uh, we're going to talk about a few of the books we've had a chance to read, and then I'll give a rundown on some other titles that you might want to be on the lookout for as you uh, head to your shop today. So we're going to start with a book uh, I actually got to interview the uh the writer of the book and the artist not too long ago uh in anticipation of this title and uh we talked about it before right before final order cutoff it's the good asian number one it's by uh, writer Pornsack pisha show the art is by alexander tefengi the color is by lee luffridge and letters and designs are by jeff Powell. So uh, as I said, we did get to talk to Pornsec about this book, uh, but we talked in generalizations, obviously. Uh, and I guess we're still going to talk in generalizations here because we're not going to give any spoilers, but um, I'm curious to know. So I, I actually, I think I got to read the first three or four issues is what Pornsec uh, shared with me. And, and I, I, it was, it was amazing. I was hooked immediately. I think the art is, you know, perfect kind of crime noir pulpy sort of uh, detective story obviously with some some racial overtones and societal overtones with the whole asian immigration ban and and whatnot but curious to know what you thought of it jay since you're coming into it a little more blind than when i read it the first time well like i uh when you i read it i wasn't sure what to expect i mean i knew there would be some um uh, like i saw the previous to be some uh there was during the chinese exclusion act is during the period and I was like curious about it. So it was based pretty much on a, a real character. And what I liked about it was I did a little like research on it. So they said there was really no Asian detectives until the until 1957. The only ones they actually had were in Hawaii because they weren't uh, considered uh, Hawaiian. So they got kind of away with it. That's why. Yeah. So it was a little more history. And what I liked about it is it opened up with the history of, you know, how Asians were treated for a while. And I think America, I mean, we're a great country, but I think sometimes when we, meet new cultures we treat them way different and it just takes us a while to get used to it which is terrible but i mean i guess we just we get better as time goes on i'm i'm i'm, I'm hoping and praying that we do you know anyway because i gave 22 years of my life protecting the country and i have a strong belief that we are good we just got to get better yeah i i agree with you um and what's interesting when i talked to porn about the book and i encourage you all to go back and listen to the interview because there's a lot of good information there 
Uh, he talked about how topical this book is right now with the rise in Asian hate crime. Um, and the thing is, Asian hate crimes has always sort of been there, but it's just getting more headlines now. It probably is a little worse than it has been. Uh, but he started working on this book like way before it became a thing. Um, and it's so weird in comics how sometimes that'll happen. You'll work on a project and then it drops and people think, oh, you're just writing this right now because Asian hate crime is a thing. And Pornsec's been working on this thing for years. So, uh, but yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was really, really well done. And I thought the characters were relatable. I thought the, the initial uh, mystery was interesting. So I'm definitely in for more. What'd you think, Jay? Like I said, the story was great. Like, like focus on one detective, but uh, like I said, no spoilers. But you know, he's like the first Asian detective. I guess it happens to any uh, culture because uh, if you're the first detective of whatever race you are, everybody's gonna consider you kind of a traitor. So you get that vibe, and you just got to deal with you know being between both sides. People that hate him, and the other side that kind of hates him too. But he's trying to do the right thing. It's it's really a intense book, and it got me hooked. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, I'm hooked on it. I'm glad I pre-ordered it too because I, I knew it was gonna be a good book. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. Good point you make there. You know, he, here he is. Um, you know, he's from Hawaii, but he's in Chinatown in San Francisco, investigating this missing person. And and yeah, you're you're right. He, he's in one way he's sort of making himself subservient to kind of the the white people that are in power so that he can be a detective and try to do his job um, to try to change things from the inside, so to speak a little bit. But then even his own race looks at him, the other Asians look at him as a traitor, you know? And so he's got a foot in either world. And in a way he's not accepted by either one because they both see him as like this half breed. So it makes for um, interesting dramatic tension right from the start. Oh, yeah, it's a great book. And like uh, from personal experience, I uh, came from St. Louis. So a few years ago, like maybe like 10 years ago, we had a bunch of Bosnians, refugees come there and they the American, Americans didn't like them at all because they just wanted to speak their culture and wanted to do their own thing. And I saw some becoming cops because I have family that were cops and they became officers and they were looked the same way that like they were uh, traitors and they were working for the Americans and they weren't helping them out. But I go back now and it's accepted now. It's like, OK, they're just trying to, you know, that's the way it is now. But yeah, I definitely see that though. Yeah, so the Bosnians are like, "How could you betray us?" And right, then, and, they're, and they're speaking their language, and they're trying to do interviews, and they're like, "Well, this is what this guy said." It's like, well, "How dare you tell what we're saying?" Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Like you said, hopefully we're on a path to uh, to getting better. We definitely, we definitely could use it. So, all right. Well, the first book I'm going to talk about. It's interesting. It's entitled Homecoming. It's Baby Teeth, issue number seventeen, from writer Donnie Cates. The art is by Gary Brown, colors by Mark Engler, uh, letters by Taylor Esposito. And the reason it's interesting that it's entitled Homecoming is because this book has been gone for a long time. Like it disappeared off the stands. I don't know exactly what happened. Heard some rumors of some behind the scenes uh, kind of tension with Donny Cates and, and Aftershock. I have no idea if that's true or not. I, I, I don't know why it disappeared for so long, but I'm glad it's back because it's a really, really great story. And I've been wanting the conclusion. And it's basically about this teenage girl who gives birth to the Antichrist. And, um, you know, it turns out her mother's part of this cult and her, her mother set it up so that she would give birth to the Antichrist. And her sister and her dad are trying to protect her from her mother. And there's just, it's a really interesting story. Think, think kind of Rosemary's Baby, but kind of dialed up to 11 
with a modern take on it. Donnie Cates obviously is an incredible writer. And so it's it's been a, a fun story, but obviously it's been a long time since we've gotten any more of the story. So I was kind of worried that I was going to pick up this issue 17 and be lost and not remember. But man, Donnie Cates, I didn't go back and read any of, of one through 16. I just didn't have time. I said, let me just crack it open and see what I remember. Man, I, I fell right back into the world. I remembered everything that was going on. Um, it's a fast paced issue that has a, an ending that's like a, a holy crap moment at the ending. Uh, the artwork by Gary Brown suits the story fantastically. It's just a really, really great book. Obviously, if you haven't read any of Baby Heath, you're not going to be able to jump in on here with 17, but you can go back and pick up the trades or pick up the issues. It's just a really great story. Um, I wouldn't say it's horror, though, even though it's about the Antichrist and Son of Satan. It's much more of kind of this, this action-y adventure comic than it is any sort of... Uh, of sort of horror book or whatever. Uh, there is a little bit of blood and, and gore here. It gets kind of violent at times, but it's definitely a fun ride. Uh, it seems like the kind of book you would read, Jay. Have you, did you read Baby Teeth back in the day before it went on hiatus? Yeah, I did actually. So that's why uh, when I got it, I thought it was going to be, you know, bloody, gory, you know, like people ripping each other apart. And it wasn't. I was like, okay, isn't that what I thought it was? But it was still entertaining. And uh, yeah, you're right. It was gone for a while. So I just kind of forgot about it. I didn't even know it was came back. So, you just, so I saw the list. I'm like, oh, they brought it back. Who knew? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully we get the rest of the Shrek. I, I kind of imagine it feels like with the, uh, the big reveal at the end of issue 17 here that this could be like the big climax about to happen. I wouldn't be surprised if it runs like, I don't know, 24 issues. 25 26 issues somewhere right around there so I, I guess we'll see but uh it is a good book it is back i do recommend it check it out if you uh are so inclined uh next book we're going to talk about and again um rocky and i talked about this in detail on yesterday's episode or on the comic boom youtube channel but uh i wanted to get jay's take on it it's batman number 108 written by james tynan the art is by Jorge Jimenez. Tameo More does an incredible job on the colors. This is some of the best colors I've seen in a comic all year. Uh, Clayton Cowell handles the letters. And this is, uh, for all you speculators out there, this is the first full appearance and first cover appearance of, uh, of Miracle Molly. And it's the, you know, the story of, of Gotham City, and they're continuing down that path of the magistrate, with Scarecrow, and Simon Saint, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, give us your thoughts, Jay, specifically about Miracle Molly. Yeah, because we were talking about it earlier. It's like, I'm not a big fan of her. It's like, oh, why don't they just leave the whole clown thing alone? Because her costume is a little over the top with all those colors. But, you know, I guess we'll see what they do with the character. But I've always been a huge Batman fan. Um, when I first started collecting comics, it was Archie because, you know, it's kiddish. But then I had Marvel, which was, you know, fun. But then you want to be the grown up, you collect Batman because that was like the, the adult comic, you know, because it was more meat to the, to the story. I always love Batman the most because the stories are depth. Uh, the colors are great. The artwork is always phenomenal. They never let me down. And the story here was pretty funny because they bring back Matches Malone, you know, his, uh, you know, his uh, alter ego, I guess, the undercover thing. And you, I know you guys already went into depth with it, but I like the story. I like how they kind of give you a rundown of what's going on with uh, as he gives it like a little tour from um, uh, Miracle Molly. And there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, of course. But uh, yeah, I like the story. And I've always, like I said, Batman has never really let me down with a storyline, except when they try to kill him off. But other than that, I, I always enjoy Batman. I don't know about Molly. I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, I know a lot of people aren't fans of Punchline, but some people are just in love with her, I I, I guess. I don't know. I'm just thinking she's like another sidekick right now. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I vastly prefer Miracle Molly to Punchline. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, is the problem you have with Molly mainly the way she looks or is it's, it? I think it's her costume. I think if they would have gave it more of a some like simplified, like a punchline, I think it would have been a little bit better, I think, for me. Because punchline, I think, is a little too much. It's like, okay, I, I guess they were just trying to replace the goofy sidekick of Harley because she grew up, you know, when she left Batman, she did her own thing. You know, she's more does her own thing. She's not all that goofy, silly thing like she wasn't before. She matured, I guess. So I guess they had to do it with a teenage punchline. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the character and the costumes kind of whatever. I mean, you're right. It is it is pretty garish. Um, I don't know if that's on yeah. purpose or not. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, but I, I think she's a much more interesting character than than Punchline. Not that I think Punchline has a great costume either. But it, I mean, she's a Joker sidekick, so I guess you expect a lot of purple and, and whatnot so yeah we'll see what, what they do but you know it, it, she might get better uh, who knows but yeah as, like i said i'm still a batman fan i still like the story and the story is good i like the story yeah i mean I, i'm not digging on the story that much just because of everything that was given away with future state so it's like why am i reading this when i know where it's going obviously we know things can change and, and i hope it does but again if you want more of my thoughts everybody in depth go listen to yesterday's uh, episode uh, anyway on to my next book it's uh, Deep Beyond by Mirko Andolfo and David Goy as the writers. Andrea Bocardo is the artist. We have Barbara Nascenzo on colors, Fabio Emilia on letters. And this is uh, issue four. I don't know how long this series is going to last, but it feels like it could be done in six, but it also feels like it could go significantly longer. Uh, so there's some pretty big revelations in this issue and I don't want to get into it too much, but we, we sort of find out when everything started going bad in the world of Deep Beyond. So in this world, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic setting. Um, something has happened. There's some sort of big fungal or viral infection in the world. It's not like a pandemic, but it's like these, these mushrooms and plant life and everything have, have you know, overgrown and they can inf infect you. If you go into one of the contaminated zones and you get like these ugly ass boils on your body and you eventually die. So there are safe zones where people live. It seems like government is a little bit leaning toward fascism, but you kind of understand with the state of the world and, and the way things are. And so we, we kind of get some hints about when things started going sideways here. And then toward the end of the issue, things just take a left turn and it goes in this direction that's sort of a classic sci-fi direction uh, and it's pulling from a lot of really cool um like different sci-fi concepts like the, this idea of a portal to another dimension and uh thinking machines and sentient machines and uh, a little bit of um, suspended animation and maybe some time travel and just like all this really cool mashup of all these sort of interesting science fiction concepts. And overall, uh, the still still kind of the umbrella that this is all living under is this feeling of kind of impending doom, this feeling of disaster. I think I've talked before about previous issues, sort of giving that feel of the Poseidon adventure, you know, where you're, you're underwater, you, uh, you know, obviously we're not made to, to live underwater, so it's a very dangerous situation for humans. Your survival is precarious. You're, you're hanging by a thread on 
whether you're going to make it out of the situation or not. Like that, that feeling, that tension of danger, of constant danger, uh, it's still there. It still exists in the book. Uh, incredible artwork, which, you know, you hear the name Mirko Andolfo and you think, okay, well, she's going to be drawing a gorgeous book, right? Well, no, she's not even handling the art here. She's just doing the, the, the writing. And this book is so good. It's so good. Uh, this is my book of the week. Uh, not enough people are, are reading it. Um, I won't say that it started off slow, but the pacing has been uh, a little bit up and down. It hasn't felt like like pedal to the metal, all out action, breakneck pace, reveals on every uh, issue until this issue four. This issue four has, has really dialed it up. It's been kind of a slow build, which is perfectly fine because it's been interesting enough. I've kept reading it the whole time. And then I read this issue four and I'm just like, man, this book is so good. The characterization, the tension between the characters, the conspiracy that's going on behind the scenes with the current president and what she might know and what she might not know and her link to the rebels uh, who are the ones who, who are trying to discover the truth of what happened and what's behind the infection and uh, share that knowledge with the people and not have everything hidden by the government so they can stay in power. Like there's a lot of political um, maneuvering and whatnot going on behind the scenes. So if you like a, a political book, conspiracy theory, there's a little bit of that, but tons of action, great art, and uh, yeah, this is a really, really great book. Uh, and I, I think, I thought you were reading it too, Jay, but I don't know if you're. Oh yeah, but uh, when you sent to me, I was reading the reading it. I never fin I didn't finish yet, so I didn't get to the end yet. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, I think it's uh, twelve issues. Yeah, it's twelve issues. So we're, okay. I guess we're about halfway there, I guess now. But yeah, when I first uh, put it on my pull list, I went because of the uh, artist. I thought she would be doing some of the work, and I was like, oh no, just doing the writing. And I was like, okay, but it was it's still a good story though. And are we still not that bad, but yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah. I mean, she's done some, some of the cover work and yeah, she's a really talented artist, but I, I'm really impressed with the writing. Uh, just, just the story in general has been really, really good. So, uh, all right, well, on to your next book. Let me get it up here in front of me. Uh, switching over to Marvel now. Um, Let's talk a little, uh, it's May the 4th as we record this, so I guess it's appropriate. Uh, we've got the first part of the four-month event from Star Wars, Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, the, and this first issue is written by Charles Soule. We have art by Steve McNiven. Uh, colors are by Laura Martin. Letters are by Travis Lanham. And uh, if anybody's not familiar with what's going on in, in War of the Bounty Hunters, and it even says um, Prelude on, on the cover, Precious Cargo. So this is the story. This is going to be the story of what happened to Boba Fett after he leaves Cloud City on Bespin, and he's trying to take Han Solo encased in carbonite to Tatooine, to Jabba the Hutt, right? Like, if you've seen those movies... and pretty much we all have you know it's at the end of empire strikes back the carbonite frozen body of han solo is loaded into boba fett ship and he flies off and then when return of the jedi starts we're on tatooine and uh han solo's body is there in job of the hut's castle or fortress or whatever you want to call it but how did it get there was it just boba fett just going from point a to point b got paid and that's what happened well no apparently not apparently it was much, 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 much more complicated than that. 
And uh, it's so interesting because Boba Fett, you know, that was his first uh, appearance in the Star Wars canon was in the uh, the Empire Strikes Back. And then with just that little bit of scene that he's in between that and then Return of the Jedi, where he's in that opening sequence and then gets swallowed by the Sarlacc, just from those little bits, he becomes one of the most popular Star Wars characters. I guess you chalk it up to great character design. Um, but clearly Star Wars has built upon that with the Mandalorian uh, and the whole idea of Mandalorians and Mandalorian armor and Boba Fett himself. And so uh, obviously the, the canon and the mythology, whatever has been um, been built up over time, but this is a great chance to add to that canon and choosing Charles soul as the writer is perfect because Charles is one of the biggest star Wars fans I know. And what's great is he, he, the stories that he tells and what he adds in, um, it fits in seamlessly. It doesn't contradict anything because Star uh, Charles knows his Star Wars canon so well. It doesn't contradict anything. It's additive, and it has that same classic feel, you know, much more so than the the you know movie seven, eight, nine, or the prequels did. Like Charles, he channels that and feeling of those first three movies that we all loved as kids. So uh, I thought this was spectacular. I thought that the uh, the art by Steve McNiven was was really good. Um, and I won't, I won't even mention anything about story because uh, this is supposed to be, <laughs> it's supposed to be Jay's book talking about <laughs> here I am going on and on, but uh, yeah, give us your thoughts, Jay. What did you, what did you think? Oh, hey, it's, it's May 4th. We can do that. We, we were talking, we knew we were going to cover the together of the story. When I was a kid, that was like my favorite uh, toy was Boba Fett. I had two of them because I had one that I uh, always played with and I had another one that I, I wanted to keep in a box. Even as a kid, I was a collector. I still got it downstairs, thank God. But anyway, I like the idea that they tapped onto this because it's like, okay, yeah, he got the body there, but what about the other bind hunters? Because that's like a – it's worth a lot of money. So other bind hunters are onto it because they, they can steal it from him. You know, They can get their own money from Bo- Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt doesn't care as long as he gets the body. So that's what I liked about the story. Uh, it, I don't want to give too much, you know, but it's just, uh, it was, a, the story was, the first story was good. The ending kind of leaves you, okay, so what happened next? So I, I like the ending. That was like the best part. And seeing, you know, how tough he is and what he does, you know, he's just, you know, he is kind of a badass. So you get to, you get to see some of that, which is kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's the whole point, right? Like you get a chance to see how incredible Boba Fett is in, in action, much more so than we did in any of the movies. I mean, the way he died in the movie was like, that's it. I mean, it was so cheap. It was a cheap shot. <laughs> yeah, I agree 100%. 100%. So uh, what about Steve McNiven's art? Do you think he's the right artist for this? It's perfect. I like that artwork. I really do. It, it works for the story. Yeah, he definitely brings in some um, some detail. I, I, even on the cover, he... he write, he, you know, he puts in a lot of detail than he puts after Platt. You know, I guess it's a Stephen Platt homage as far as the um the pose pose. yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah i I thought it was i thought it was really really done well so yeah you uh, definitely got to get this book because what i hear in the street is like everybody that didn't order is now looking for it and i think a lot of stores are going to be sold out as soon as they open the open the doors yeah i mean i i got mine (laughs) oh i got mine too so (laughs) because i'm a star wars fan but yeah uh, the people that missed out you'll be like oh i need to get that book and it's gonna be gonna be pricey i'm sure yeah and just to let everybody know we'll be going in depth with spoilers um every friday so basically uh for the next four months it's going to be basically a 16 or 17 maybe 18 part story um so it's going to be one 
one chapter a week, basically. So we will be uh, covering the uh, the whole event, and we'll do uh, an in-depth with spoilers uh, episode, podcast episode, basically once a week that will come out on Fridays. So be sure you pick it up on Wednesday if you can, and uh, have read it by Friday so you can join us and uh, hear what we have to say about uh, the War of the Bounty Hunters. Uh, all right, what am I going to talk about next? Let me switch over to uh, Immortal Hulk number 46. It's You and Me Against the World uh, from writer Al Ewing, Joe Bennett on pencils, Ryu Jose and Bellardino Bravo on inks, Paul Mounts does the colors, and Corey Petit on letters. Um, so last issue, we finally saw the return of the Demon Hulk, and he, he got his full powers back. Basically, it took the attack by the UFOs on the Hulk to kind of threaten him with, with sort of a final death, which the, the name of the book is Immortal Hulk UFOs. You're not going to be able to kill him, despite what Henry Peter Gyrich has, has charged you with, which, I don't know, Henry Peter Gyrich, he's clearly the Amanda Waller of the Marvel Universe. And I, I, I hate him just about as much as Amanda Waller, maybe slightly less uh, because he doesn't show up as much, but he's such a buffoon. He's such a moron, just the same way Amanda Waller is. He, he just thinks that he's the arrogance, you know, the arrogance is, is there just like him and, and Waller. Like if there's any justice in the world, uh, Guy Rich and Waller would be locked in a cell for the rest of their natural born lives to have to just live with each other. Uh, that would be just punishment. Uh, but anyway, it's great to see Demon Hulk back. Um, and without spoiling too much, I can't really t- talk about um, what else happens in this issue because we get the end of the UFOs fight. But beyond that, anything I say is going to be spoilery. Um, and I really, really want to spoil it. <laughs> I really want to talk about, you know, kind of a mild spoiler um, but I won't, uh, but what I will say is the way this issue ends, it is set up for one massive, massive brawl, um, and tons of actions, the likes of which we haven't, uh, we haven't seen in Immortal Hulk for a while. You know, I talked about how it was kind of bogging down and it felt like the pace was kind of getting slow and I was not losing interest, but I was ready for things to ramp back up. And then finally, a couple of issues ago, I talked about Al Ewing starting to crank things up again. And it started to feel like the book that everybody fell in love with, you know, three or four years ago when it first came out. And now we're, we're there, right? We are there. And there's uh, uh, something I said it last time, last month, there's something big coming. Well, now we know what that big thing is because this issue ends on somewhat of a cliffhanger that's going to lead into that, that huge event. So I think issue 50 is probably going to be the climax. Something momentous is probably going to happen there, whether it's the the end of this run or just a big event, I guess remains to be seen. Um, but this is a, this is a great book. This is uh, to me, this is immortal Hulk returning to its glory. It's uh, this, this issue reminded me of, of, why this book has been so good and, and the potential that it has incredible artwork by Joe Bennett. Um, there's one particular scene. I, I can't necessarily describe it. Um, Cause it could give something away. Uh, but I'll just say that there's 
we get we're looking at the Hulk sort of from behind, and there's like energy in the panel as well. So much energy to the point where you can almost see part of his skeleton through his skin, through his body. Um, and it's just a great, it's just a perfect example of the art and the over the top characterization of, uh, of the immortal Hulk coming through in this, uh, in this issue. So if you've seen the cover to issue 47, you'll know what I'm talking about in terms of, of what the big sort of cliffhanger ending of, of this one is, but yeah, it's uh, immortal Hulk is back in terms of being an incredible, <laughs> Uh, incredible series and there's a really cool homage cover uh, as well for this issue which I, I put in the uh, kind of in the uh, the artwork the the album cover for this uh, for this episode uh, as opposed to the regular cover uh, it's an homage to uh, Uncanny X-Men 145 it's really really cool so uh, anyway, on to Jay's next book. Uh, in addition to Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunter, Marvel has another big event that's kicking off this month. It's written by Jason Aaron. We have pencils by Ed McGinnis, inks are by Mark Morales, colors by Matthew Wilson, and letters by Cordy Petit. It's Heroes Reborn, Whatever Happened to Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So this will be the, the big, I don't want to say summer event, because uh, it's not quite summer, but I guess close enough. I mean, this is going to run through throughout the summer. Um, but it's interesting because it, it seems like it's running parallel with what's going on. Like the regular universe is still going on. And this clearly is not the regular universe. If you've seen any of the, the artwork or promotional materials for this, we, we saw like a, uh, uh, what a, a Dr. Doom and, and Juggernaut um, kind of mash up. We saw, like a, a Red Skull Venom mashup. And, you know, we see a couple of them show up here in the, the issue. So it's clearly some sort of alternate timeline or alternate universe, but Marvel's not going all in and, and doing a ton of crossovers with the regular books. Don't get me wrong. They're still going to put out one shots and whatnot. And then we'll have, we'll have the regular Heroes Reborn storyline. So I've been going back and forth on this, whether or not I was going to, I was going to check it out. Was I going to go all in? I'm going all in on Star Wars Bounty Hunters but I, I don't. I still, even after reading this first issue, I'm not sure that I've made up my mind yet. So, what did you think, uh, Jay? Well, I, I didn't know really what to expect. I knew they were doing like, uh, like you said earlier, they're going to do like a bunch of um, collaboration with different characters with other uh, characters' powers. I guess you would say. Um, what I like about it, though is, I guess there's a new world and there's no Avengers, and I guess the uh, dialogue in the story you get the. Uh, the narrator, I guess, of the story is going to be Blade. He's the only one that actually knows the truth, you know, of who the Avengers were at one time. So that's not really a spoiler because every time you know, when you read the previews, the Blade's, you know, the one that knows everything. So he's going around and uh, I guess remember he's uh, just checking things out, trying to figure out, put the pieces together. You get an appearance, like I said, from all those different characters. Um, you see what happens to uh, uh, Scarlet Witch and her brother, which is kind of another little uh, mesh they have of their powers together. And you see who the president is, which is interesting because <laughs> he's like in awe of everything. He's like, this is beautiful, which is weird, but okay. But uh, the ending was kind of neat because you're kind of like, well, who was the key, you know, what was the key thing to even having the event? And you find out the event what it is. And then Blake, you know, has to, it figures it out, figures it out. So it's, I guess it's like a cliffhanger, I guess. 
but it was interesting. I I, I uh, didn't know what to expect, so it's a little different. I don't know, like you said, if I'm all in or not, but I'll see what happens in the next issue. Yeah, I mean, the ending is sort of hinted at in the middle of the book, and it's what I mean. It kind of makes sense, though. I mean, yeah, we I mean, we heard right from the beginning that this whole the whole premise of this was, yeah, what what if the Avengers weren't around? And I mean, it's it's right there in the the tagline for the whole event. Right. Whatever happened to Earth's Mightiest Heroes, Earth's Mightiest Heroes are the Avengers. We know the Avengers aren't around. Um, I mean, that's the name of the event. Heroes Reborn, whatever happened to Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So, you know, it's, when it's hinted at in the middle, you know, that's obviously if the Avengers weren't around, then then, yeah, that's going to be a consequence of that. And when it gets hinted at in the middle, I figured that that's that's who's going to that that event and that hero are, are basically what where Blade's going to go. Like what, who else would you go to, you know? Right. If you're listening to this and you're a Marvel fan, you can probably guess who we're we're talking about here. Um, But it, it is an interesting idea. It's not something that's wholly original. And the thing that I thought about this. So first of all, like, why, why is Marvel doing this? Like, are people really nostalgic for the heroes reborn event? I, I would think the answer to that would be no, they're not. Um, and this event runs through, through June and we're going to get a bunch of mashups. Like, remember, we just had the infinity warps not too long ago where we had a bunch of mashups and I don't think the sales on that were like burning down any barns or whatever. And the other part of it was, did you, do you remember the Marvel Knights six issue limited series that Donnie Cates wrote like the Marvel Knights 20th anniversary? Yeah. That was kind of this, right? Like, yeah, it's what I thought too. But the other thing too is like, are they trying to be like DC's doing the crime syndicate? So are they trying to like do something like an alternate reality with something like that too? See, like they're, you know, what I mean, it just, yeah. I don't, I don't understand why they're doing it, but you know, yeah, that was the first thing I thought of when I started reading this. I was like, we just, I think it was in 2019. It might have ended in 2020. Even we just did this with Marvel Knights. Like literally, we just did this where. All the heroes forgot, like Dr. Doom and Kingpin had uh, some device that allowed them to, to make a wish, basically. And instead of wishing for more wishes, they wished there not to be any heroes. All the heroes forgot who they were and only the villains were around. And I mean, this isn't exactly the same thing because there still are some heroes, just not the heroes that we're used to. But it still felt very derivative. So I don't know. I kind of felt like. I didn't really see what the point was of this. Yeah. I didn't didn't think the first, this first issue was so good where I went, well, I might not see the point, but it's so good. I'm glad they've done it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's not terrible. And it might, it might get there. It might, Jason Aaron's a good writer and it might get there. He gets a chance to, I'm getting a chance to see him do Thor, write Thor again, which is cool. Um, And I don't know, it, it might end up being a really cool event, but I don't know. The first issue just felt really kind of derivative. And I mean, just kind of average, maybe slightly above average. Um, Cause the other thing is, so I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of Ed McGinnis's art, but even the art here felt like kind of nothing special. I mean, you, you hear it's like an event book and you expect like really great art and, you know, like Ed McGinnis on Superman, that, that art, every, even the regular issues felt like, like something big and bombastic and maybe it's the coloring here because it's not colored with really bright colors. 
maybe with the exception of the Thanos page. But I don't know, it just, even the artwork just felt like there was something missing. It didn't feel like, remember when there used, it used to be a Marvel event and you got like excited? Oh yeah, it was always like the summer event. Yeah. And because they always put Lego, even the store wasn't that great. They still went all in with the art and the, and the colors and the pencil. Yeah, like and even crappy events like Atlantis Attacks or whatever, you know, it, it you got excited for it. And the, I don't know, the, I just felt like, I read this and I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see that. The probably having Blade be kind of the narrator was probably the coolest part. Um, and the Thor scenes were pretty cool. But other than that, I was like, eh. eh yeah. Right. What you're saying too is like, it reminds me, yeah, it reminds me of a what if issue. The very first series of what if, I think it was issue uh, 37, they said, what if Avengers weren't around? Yeah. Just, so it's like, they just took an idea they had from years ago and just didn't. They did it again in 19. It's like, they're just redoing the story, man. Yeah, let's take that idea of the what if. Let's take that. <laughs> I, let, let's take that story we just did like 14 months ago in Marvel Knights 20th anniversary. Donnie Cates has a good idea from Donnie Cates. Let's take the idea from DC of new version of Crime Syndicate. Let's mash them all together and we'll get Jason Aaron to write it. We'll get Ed McGinnis to draw it. It'll be a huge hit. That kind of feels like what, you know, we heard about this. We heard about this months ago, months ago. And we got some images of, of, the Juggernaut, Doctor Doom mashup, and and the Red Skull Venom mashup, and it just they kind of released it, and it's I don't know, it, there's no excitement. I'm not feeling excitement from actually reading the story, and they didn't try to push any excitement. Like I don't know, it, it almost feels like they're phoning it in at this point. I don't, I'm not sure what Marvel's doing. So <laughs> anyway, uh, on to my last book. Uh, speaking of excitement, this this one did did get me excited really great issue it's noctera number three from writer scott snyder the art is by co-creator tony s daniel great colors by tameo more annual design handles the letters uh, at the end of last issue we saw that uh blacktop bill was basically on the uh, basically on the tail of uh of m and val right the brother and sister um, and he had kind of tracked them down to where they had stopped to rest. Well, Val is trying to, she's a ferryman. She, she takes people from place to place in this world of eternal darkness where the darkness is, is malevolent. It mutates and changes living organisms. And so ferrymen are basically these people who drive these 18 wheelers that are outfitted with bright lights and this other sort of light technology that can keep these monsters at bay. And, uh, Val's whole thing is she's trying to save her brother M, who's been infected by this darkness, trying to, to get him somewhere where they can purge that infection out of him before it changes him, before it, it takes him too far, and he's past the point of no return. So Val's agreed to take this older man and his supposed granddaughter to this sanctuary where they have technology that can help save Val's brother M, and also uh, she's going to get a lot of money, right? Um, and, but in stopping to recharge the batteries, they get ambushed by Blacktop Bill and his his gang. And so basically this issue, we get a lot more background uh, about the world of uh, Noctera and about the infection and uh, the internal darkness. And other than that, what we get is a high-speed chase between Val and her 18-wheeler and Blacktop Bill and his cohorts that are cohorts who are trying to, to chase them down. So this is... Uh, 
that scene of the, the car chase is the action of the issue and it's done really, really well. Um, but the other part of the, the issue is, uh, th this is kind of a dialogue heavy issue with a lot of uh, emotion and a lot of kind of exposition and background to explain to us the world of Noctera, to kind of explain, you know, set up for what's coming, what Val and M may find in, in Sanctuary. So uh, it's not as action packed as, as the last issue, but what action there is, is done really, really well. There's particularly a scene where Val uh, sets off sort of uh, this trap that she had, had prearranged um, in case she ever needed it. That's done really, really cool. The, um, the whole car chase scene is done really, really well. And the use of lighting, I mean, Tameo More is maybe the only color artist working who can make this color and this art shine the way that it does. Um, just the way he handles the lighting, you know, the way things glow, it's so important. It adds so much to the mood and, and the world. It's important to get that right. And he does a, an incredible job. So this book is, is amazing. Um, it continues to impress me just when I, I read an issue and I think it can't get any better. Uh, it does, right? Like I read the first issue and I thought, man, that is a damn cool concept. Pretty good book. Way to go, uh, Snyder and Daniel. Then I read the second one with uh, quite a bit of action and, and building on it. And I thought, wow, it, you know, rare these days that a second issue can pull you in and get you hooked even more than a first issue. Then we get this third issue that it's so jam packed with emotion that uh, I, I'm, I'm all in, like I, I'm, I'm becoming so invested in these characters of Val and M and I, I want to know about their history. I want to know about their family. I want to know how they survived to the point that they're at now. Um, I'm just so invested. And throughout this, throughout the entire story, the world and the uh, rendering and the, the character design, everything that Tony Daniels and the art team have done brings me to that feeling. I, I talked about it. Uh, I think my quote when I was talking about the second issue was that feeling you get when you're walking down a dark hallway, even if you're in your own home and if your own house that you grew up in, but when it's completely dark and you're walking down the hallway and you get that little kind of itch in the middle of your back, like below your neck, that there could be somebody behind you, you know, that, that little feeling of uh, fear of, of the unknown, right? It's dark. We can't see it's, it's instinctive in us to fear the, the, the dark because we, as humans, we don't see well in the dark. And, you know, that's a, that feeling of, of fear, that instinctual fear and wanting to get to the light uh, it's, you know, part of our survival instinct that was sort of, um, bred into us, right? Like the people that didn't fear the dark were the ones that got eaten by saber tooth tigers and, you know, other predators and whatnot. It was the people that feared the dark that stayed away from the dark that got to, to live <laughs> and breed and reproduce. And that instinctual fear of the darkness has thus been passed down, uh, throughout, you know, human history. And that's what this book does so well. That's what the art does. And, and even the, the pacing that Scott Snyder establishes with the narrative, like everything works together in this book to establish that feeling, uh, that fear of the unknown, that little tickle in the middle of your back where you're just not sure, could there be something behind you? 
Do you need to worry? Should you run? Yeah, go ahead and run. Run to your room and flip on the light uh, because when we have light and we can see, we inherently feel more safe, right? And that's what this book is is all about uh, with these ferrymen who have these rigs that have light and, and the way light is weaponized. I mean, it's it's an incredible concept. It's really well executed and uh, particularly the motion in this issue is what for me makes this uh, the best issue. So I don't know how long they can keep topping themselves because um, I liked issue two better than issue one. Now I like issue three better than issue two. So this issue, is it going to continue to get better? Is issue four going to be the best one yet? I guess we'll see. Uh, and I know you've been reading this too, Jay. What did you think of, uh, of issue three? Oh, it was good. I, uh, I guess I like the story, definitely. And the covers are, are amazing. Like you said, the coloring that he does, I don't know how he does it, but it's great. Like uh, the variant covers, I collect those too because they're about as good as the uh, regular covers. And normally when you get the variant, it's supposed to be better, but they're both equally as good. And you do get more, uh, the more you read, because you get the, uh, every issue starts up with a flashback, which I enjoy because you get more history of the characters. And by doing that, they bring in the reader to um, to bond more with the characters. So, you f- you know, you want to make sure everything, you know, you, they, something bad happens to them. You're like, oh, no, because you're now you're attached. Like I said, you're mostly attached to these, these uh, characters now. And the ending in this book was like a, the best cliffhanger so far. You're like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mention the ending because, yeah, it's like, oh, wait, really? Did we go there already in issue three? I guess we'll I guess we'll see. So. All right. Well, let me give a rundown on some uh, other books that you might want to be on the lookout for. Uh, over at Aftershock, there is a. Uh, an Eden, number one, one shot that's written by uh, Cullen Bunn. That's a really interesting take on uh, sort of a horror slash sci fi idea that I've seen before that really goes kind of sideways. It was an enjoyable read. So if you're a Cullen Bunn fan, you definitely should look out for that. At Ahoy Comics, Wrong Earth Night and Day number four is out. That's the whole Dragonfly, Dragonfly Man story continuing over there. Uh, From AWA, there's a new series called Marjorie Finnegan's Temporal Criminal that has its first issue that's out today. And the reason I mention it is because it's written by Garth Ennis with art by Goren Suzuka. And I mean, those are, those are like legendary creators, you know, anything Garth Ennis does, I'm, I'm interested in. So I'm going to be checking that out. Um, I don't really know much about it other than Marjorie Finnegan is apparently a temporal criminal. So that has everything to do with, you know, time travel, I guess, (laughs) Um, and Garth Ennis doing time travel. Yeah. It sounds like it could be kooky and fun. So looking forward to, uh, to checking that out for sure. Uh, all right. Over at DC, uh, we talked about Batman 108. Uh, and again, we talked about these, uh, on our episode yesterday, but Batman Fortnite zero point number two is out. Crime syndicate. Number three of six is out. Green Lantern. Number two has a ton of, uh, big events that could have lasting impact on the Green Lantern core in the Marvel Universe or DC Universe, rather. Uh, Man Bat number four of five is out. Uh, Suicide Squad number three was really good. So was Swamp Thing number three. So those uh, are all out from DC today. Uh, meanwhile, over at Image, Commanders in Crisis number eight of 12 from uh, Steve Orlando and David Tinto. I would have talked about that, but I just didn't didn't have room to talk about it in, in depth here, but that story is 
there's some big important ideas, emotional ideas, uh, literally ideas that happen in issue eight that are setting up the the finale. Um, and it, it could be as much as Steve Orlando and Dave, David Tinto love comics, this could be a more emotional ending than uh, I maybe initially anticipated, which when you think about it is sort of appropriate because the whole love of comics, I mean, love is an emotion uh, as well. So it's sufficiently over the top with crazy ideas and great art by David uh, Tinto. Um, but it's also kind of moving into this uh, territory of emotional ideas and th this thing of uh, this concept of us needing to come together uh, in order to solve problems. So uh, I think that's interesting as well. You know, goes back to what we were saying earlier about the good Asian. Uh, we already mentioned Deep Beyond, uh, Dine Number 16 from Kieran Gellin and Stephanie Hans is out. Latest issue of Firepower by Robert Kirkman and Chris Somney, that's number 11. Uh, we, talk, we talked about Noctera, Walking Dead Deluxe, Robert Kirkman's uh, reissuing of his uh, classic zombie story uh, in color. The 14th issue of that is out as well. Over at Marvel, uh, in addition to the books we talked about, Carnage, Black, White, and Blood, uh, number three of four is out. I, I did read that and they were, the stories were interesting enough, but I was kind of left feeling like, wait, why do people like Carnage? I mean, I'm not a Carnage fan. They certainly felt like Carnage stories. Uh, they were good Carnage stories. I just, I'm not, I'm not a person that really enjoys reading Carnage stories, but if you are a Carnage fan, you're probably picking that up already. You don't need me telling you how good it is. Um, it definitely captures sort of the feel of Carnage. Uh, really, really well. Hellions, number 11, over in the X-Men corner uh, of the Marvel Universe. Uh, Marauders, number 20, as well. Union, number five of five. I uh, didn't get a chance to read that one yet, um, although that finishes up that miniseries. I, I think I'm behind. I don't think I read issue four either, so i got to check that out. Strange Academy, number 10. Um, also, X-Men, Curse of the Man-Thing, number one. Uh, speaking of uh, Steve Orlando, he does that. And then there's a, there's a Thanos Quest Marvel Tales number one uh, issue for uh, $7.99 that's out from Marvel. And it basically reprints some, uh, some tales from Thanos uh, from the past. Uh, so if you are curious about the, uh, the whole Thanos Quest um, how Thanos actually got the uh, Infinity Gems, Infinity Stones, as they're called in the MCU. This Thanos Quest Marvel Tales collects that Thanos Quest number one and two, which coincidentally we are, are covering recently. I think our last uh, Marvel reading order, we covered uh, Thanos Quest number one. And this coming Saturday's uh, Marvel chronology Thanos reading order is going to cover uh, Thanos quest number two. So uh, if you've never got a chance to read those, it's a really great story. It's pretty fun. It's Ron Lim art. It's written by Jim Starlin. Anyway, both, both issues are collected together. Um, and I think the Thanos quest one and two, I mean, if you pick those up at a show, you're probably looking at at least 50, 60 bucks for, for those two issues. Um, whereas here you can get them for, uh, for seven ninety nine. Obviously it's not the same. It's not, you know, it's not a first print and it's not the same packaging. Those Thanos Quest um, issues were like square bound prestige format. This is just a regular comic. But if you're curious and you've never read it, if you're listening to the Marvel Reading Order and you want to follow along uh, with the comic, definitely pick up that Thanos Quest Marvel Tales number one. Uh, let's see if there's anything else over at uh, Scout Comics. There's a new 
book called Broken Souls Ballad Number One. Uh, Black Cotton Number One of Six gets another variant uh, second printing cover. That book has been uh, absolutely on fire. And uh, we've got from uh, Vault Comics, Hollow Heart Number Three is out, as well as the Money Shot from Tim Seeley gets his its uh, second trade paperback that's hitting uh, comic book stores this week as well. And uh, like I already mentioned, ENIAC number three is out, as is uh, Walesville, along with Rocks and Minerals by Matt Kent. So uh, all those books are at your local comic shop this week. And a lot of, a lot of good books. But for me, um, partly because not enough people are talking about it and I wanted to pick something different, and it's been really impressing me, I'm going with Deep Beyond number four as my, my book of the week. Um, what about you, Jay? Did you have something that stood out that you want to call out as your book of the week? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Noctera. I like that one a lot. And the Good Age is good. It's, oh, it's almost second because it's just because of the history. Of, you know, it's just very historic, I guess. But uh, I'm going to go with, with Noctera, I guess, because I've been I'm, I'm more invested in those characters right now. Yeah, I mean, there's not a there's not a any shortage. I, I mean, sometimes it's 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 real easy to say, oh, this is my book of the week. I mean, we Noctera is deserving. Good Asian is deserving. I would even say the the Star Wars ba uh, War of the Bounty Hunters prelude is is worthy. There's a lot of great books this week, so uh, do yourself a favor and and you know pick up a couple of these, check them out. It's a really good week for for comics. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. So uh, I got to go get ready to camp out overnight. Hopefully by the time <laughs> hopefully by the time you're well, depending on what time you listen to this tomorrow, because you know this episode gets released at. 6 a.m. Eastern, um, and my shop doesn't open till 9 Pacific. So, but by the time most of you hear this tomorrow, hopefully I'll have my hands on another uh, bad idea first uh, customer pin. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks for uh, the support as always, everybody, and thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.